0: Carrie Jr. II here. Hope you all are enjoying your holiday season. Our team is away enjoying ours. And so we have an episode that we thought was important to bring back for you once again. This one's about seclusion and restraint practices implemented in Michigan schools. The episode has been edited to provide the most up-to-date information. Enjoy. Hi,
1: what are you interested in life? TV,
2: cupboards, stuff like that. What are your favorite TV shows? Um, there's Inspector Gadget, Numberblocks.
1: What subjects do you like in homeschooling? PE. You like PE? Mhm. Do you did you enjoy going to the public
0: school? No. That's nine-year-old Kai Atala. He's talking to Free Press reporters Lily Altavina and Dave Boucher. Kai was diagnosed with autism when he was five. And it was around that age when he, on multiple occasions, spent time at school, isolated in a room.
1: What did they tell you about why you were being put in the room? They said it was for safety purposes. Did you feel safe? No. Why did you feel unsafe?
2: Well, you're trapped and alone in a room and you can't get out, and you just get more and more frustrated, and more and more angry, and more and more upset. It looks kind of like a closet.
0: That's Kai's mom, Casey Atala. She's a former teacher.
2: This is a pretty new school, and it was clearly built as a seclusion room. It's not like off of a hallway, you know, a closet. But it, I would say it's about four feet by eight feet. And they said they had to do it for their own safety. I'm like, really? Like, I mean, yeah, he's kicked me before. But, I'm like, gosh, if you're working with little kids and you've never been kicked, that's kind of surprising.
0: Kai and his mom are describing controversial tactics in Michigan schools, secluding and physically restraining students in response to a perceived behavioral issue.
2: I'm going to put this as blunt as I can. Seclusion and restraint should be illegal. It's wrong.
0: The thing is, it is illegal for the most part. Under laws passed in 2016, teachers are supposed to use seclusion and methods of restraint for emergencies only. So why has it been used nearly 94,000 times in the last five years, primarily on kids with disabilities like Kai? On this episode, we're talking with Lily Altavina about her investigation with Dave Boucher into seclusion and restraint in Michigan, how common the practices are, who defends it, why it's still used, and what experts make of it. I'm Carrie Jr. II, and this is On The Line. So, you know, you've been doing this investigation, you've been working with Dave. Can you just talk a little bit about you and Dave and, and what you guys have been going into?
1: Yeah, Dave and I have been looking at restraint and seclusion in Michigan schools for over a year now. And so restraint is when a student, usually a student with a disability, is physically restrained by an adult in the classroom using force mm-hmm. um, seclusion kind of what it sounds like. It's when a student is isolated in a room to themselves. Um, You know, it's usually when they are in a moment of mental crisis, mental anguish. So in the past five school years, educators have secluded or restrained students nearly 94,000 times Um, And that's since 2017, 2018 school year when the state started collecting data, which if you, you know, calculate that out on average, seclusion or restraint happens about 100 times in classrooms daily. But given that schools were closed for a significant period during the pandemic, it's likely that that daily average is higher.
0: Okay, And so you and Dave Boucher went to speak with uh, Cassie, Kai and Daniel.
1: Yeah, so Dave and I met Cassie, Daniel, and Kai Atala. Cassie is the mother of Kai. Daniel's the father of Kai. Um, And Kai is a nine-year-old from Holland. So Kai was secluded in his kindergarten and first grade year quite a few times, and that has really shaped his relationship with education. Experts have said that that often these practices are largely traumatizing to children, um, that they leave them with trauma, that they they don't often help the behavior that, that educators are trying to tamped down on. He's, you know, had significant trauma. From these experiences, his mom said he partly homeschools now because seclusion was so traumatizing to him. So Kai would, you know, maybe act out in class or act erratically in class. And, you know, an educator would eventually seclude him in a room, sometimes in a conference room, sometimes in a seclusion room, uh, which are usually very small rooms. Often they're padded rooms, um, about the size of a broom closet. Mm. And it's usually just them alone, a fluorescent light, and an adult outside the door hearing them, them wail and cry.
0: What brought you to this investigation?
1: We had heard um, some parents in Farmington who were upset about a new seclusion room. Um, But about a year ago, I also received an email from a parent whose child had experienced multiple instances of seclusion um, at a school. And as we sort of got deeper and deeper into this, we looked at the state data. We realized that the state had tried to ban seclusion and restraint in 2016 or effectively ban it, really limit it. Um, But it doesn't seem like many of the limits really took hold because districts are still using restraint and seclusion at a high rate. Lawmakers attempted to limit restraint and seclusion only in the use of emergencies when a student uh, poses harm to themselves or others. But what we found is that that definition is kind of broad. And educators, you know, can kind of say that a three foot tall kid pulling hair or spitting constitutes an emergency when critics wouldn't call that an emergency.
0: So back to Kai, what kind of things was he doing? And then what were the teachers, you know, motivated to do as a result?
1: Yeah. So I think it's important that, you know, Cassie described Kai in kindergarten and first grade as just a little guy, you know, think of a first grader or kindergartner that you know they're pretty small um you know it's their first year of school kai was about three feet tall and so kai could have manage his emotions in some instances so you know he would he would use toys and throw them he would pull teachers earrings he would um you know, he once used scissors and, and sort of rubbed them against another student, leaving a mark. So, it, you know, they were certainly incidents that were causing alarm.
0: And what has Kai and what has Cassie said about what it's been like for him to have gone through uh, that type of discipline?
1: Yeah, for Kai, I mean, he remembers, you know, these bright lights. He remembers feeling trapped and alone and wanting some help and wanting his mom. And for him, it just, you know, he said it made him more and more angry. And when you were in the room, what did you do? You know, when you were upset, how did you take that anger out?
2: Well, I kicked the door, pounded on the door, yelled. And how long did it
1: feel like you were in the room?
2: Forever. What does forever feel like? like a really long time. I asked him when he got home, what was it like to be restrained? And he said, he he wouldn't tell me, but he said he would show me. So he sat me down on the floor and he told me I couldn't move. He said, you can't move. You're not allowed to move any part of your body. And he crawled up on my lap and he started licking my face. And one thing that I hate is, I hate being licked. And it was the most genius way for him to communicate to me how horrible it was. Cassie and Daniel really
1: both emphasize that they know that the educators who secluded and restrained Kai were all doing their best, were doing what they thought was right. But they also know that the practices themselves traumatized their child.
2: It's a extremely emotional, demand emotionally demanding job. They're working really hard. I know, I learned these things. I was very motivated because I had an autistic child and a lot of help. But to, to ask schools to just suddenly change, that, that's a lot, that's hard for them.
0: Kai's former school, Black River Public School, originally did not answer questions from Lily and Dave on this. However, after the freak broke the story, the head of school reached out to say, quote, Practices are reflective of changes in the law in recent years and are consistent with MDE guidelines, unquote. MDE is the Michigan Department of Education. I'm just curious a little bit more specifically on what restraint looks like. Um, Are they holding them by their arms? Are they tying them up? What does that look like?
1: A common way to physically restrain a kid is instead of, you know, pinning them down, which can be really dangerous and kids have died from being pinned down, you know, keeping them. Upright, keeping their arms sort of like in line, like they're kind of doing like a cross motion, Mm. and then having one adult on either side holding their arms so that they can't sort of like wiggle away.
0: Like a a religious cross, like a T.
1: It does, Uh, yeah. It it does kind of look like a religious cross.
0: Interesting. After the break, we go deeper on the findings of the Free Press investigation and why practices that are supposed to be limited seem commonplace. And we're back with Free Press reporter Lily Altavina talking about her investigation with colleague Dave Boucher into the controversial use of seclusion and restraints in Michigan schools. So I want to zoom out from Kai here and into the broader investigation that you all are talking about, um, get into specifics. Can you outline the findings of your investigation thus far?
1: Yeah. So, so far we found that districts aren't supposed to seclude elementary school kids for longer than 15 minutes or kids in middle and high school for longer than 20 minutes, unless it's an emergency. And we've seen already multiple cases in the records where children were secluded for more than an hour or Mm. just even more than that 15 or 20 minutes. Um, We found at least two incidents of districts or schools that reported zero acts of seclusion or restraint to the state. But later we knew that they were using seclusion and restraint either based on interviews with parents or investigations opened by the feds um, into the practices.
0: So why has it been in it? Uh, implement if the law says that it's illegal why are people still practicing it
1: well you know educators can say that they were in an emergency and one of the thing that we've heard you know one thing that we've heard from experts over and over again is when a kid is dysregulated emotionally when a kid is having a hard time emotionally um, you know an adult who's having a hard time and emotionally is going to have a really rough time responding to them And actually helping to calm them down, manage their emotions. A lot of educators may not be trained in what to do, how to confront a child emotionally. You know, they may be afraid in some cases if a kid is kicking them or throwing things at them or has said something, you know, kind of scary to them. You may have kids running away and and teachers who don't know what else to do. I'm wondering,
0: though, like if this is outlawed, what, what are the potential consequences?
1: And that's actually another one of our big findings is that, you know, under state law, there really are no penalties for uh, restraining or secluding a child in improperly or for reporting the data improperly. You know, the Michigan Department of Education told me that they have no latitude in enforcing improper restraint or seclusion.
0: Can you tell me like why that law is passed, but it was passed in a way where there isn't a consequence for violating it?
1: Yeah. So at the time in 2016, then Lieutenant Governor Brian Kelly was sort of the architect of the law. And he had, you know, heard all of these instances that he found to be barbaric and inhumane. But he had said that there was some sort of subtle effort to, to sort of tank this. He knew that that it wasn't going far enough because there were pushback from educators and pushback from schools who said, well, you know, like, what about that six foot three kid who's going to hurt us? Um, and that's why they kind of needed these practices.
0: Okay. Okay. Um, and then if you could tell us a little, like so, what are some other examples of when misdain happened outside of Kai's story?
1: You know, in 2003, there was an incident that really uh, kicked off the idea of trying to ban it in Michigan. A 15 year old in Kalamazoo was diagnosed with autism. He uh, Appeared to be, he appeared to have a seizure and then he started acting combative. And so, multiple adults forced him face down to the ground, held his arms and legs, mm. and he died within hours. And then it took about 13 years for the state to pass legislation. You know, and there are some cases of kids spitting, kids, you know, argued over a reindeer and that and got kind of combative about it. So, they were secluded or restrained. Um, You know, there were kids who were disrespectful, you know, according to the records, and they were secluded or restrained. And that really isn't supposed to happen. If a child is disrespectful, that's not an emergency, clearly.
0: Um, and so what are some alternative ways to handle behavioral emergencies? Are there any other ways to do it that don't include seclusion or restraining a child?
1: That's something we're exploring, and that's something a lot of the documents say is, okay, you know, educators, what alternatives have you tried? Have you tried, you know, giving the child a sensory item that might help calm them down? Um, You know, one educator told me that they are now, instead of putting a child into a seclusion room, they are clearing the classroom. Um, You know, you can take a break with a child. There are a lot of alternatives, but we're still kind of exploring what other alternatives are working
0: and we know that's an important part of the story so you'll want to check back with us at the free as lily and dave continue to investigate is there any chance that the law that currently stands on seclusion and and uh, restraint where it has no potential consequences is there any chance that, that will change
1: We don't know. It's an election year. So I think we'll just kind of have to see legislatively if there are any changes or or impact. And I'll say that, Mm -hmm. um, you know, federally, federal lawmakers have long said that they want to put limits on restraint and seclusion, uh, but we haven't seen anything yet pass.
0: Okay. Governor Gretchen Whitmer and legislative leaders recently indicated they would support changes to laws regulating seclusion and restraint in the new year. They did not mention specific fixes, but Autism Alliance of Michigan president and CEO Colleen Allen said in an opinion piece prompted by the Free Press investigation, she's working on proposed legislation. The law would, quote, eliminate barriers to inclusion of behavioral analysts and other medical and behavioral health clinical professionals in a school setting. Um, How is Kai doing now? Is he still in school?
1: Kai um, was pulled out of school in 2020 and really de- his mom said she de-schooled him, which means that they spent some time away. They traveled the country. They saw, you know, different states and and sort of learned naturally for a little bit. They're in a more structured homeschool environment now. Where he does work, but Cassie really just tries to foster kind of his interests. Like, he's really interested in the Founding Fathers. So he spent a lot of time on the Founding Fathers, and he went to Hamilton and got to see Hamilton. So Kai is doing better, um, and and he is going back to school on a part-time basis.
0: Oh, in, in school.
1: Yeah. Yeah. In-person school at a local district. But, you know, Cassie and Daniel have asked the district to agree in writing, not to exclude Kai again. They have agreed. But I think, you know, they still worry if there is a moment where he has trouble managing his emotions. Will he be secluded again?
0: Okay, so you're doing an ongoing investigation. You need some help also from our listeners, too. Is there a specific call to action you want to ask listeners for? That we can include in our podcast say, hey, call in, leave this information, all that kind of stuff.
1: Yes. Um,
0: you have their ear.
1: We want to hear from you if your child or if you or someone you know has experienced restraint or seclusion in a school setting to tell us what happened. Um, we have a database up of school districts that have reported to the state how many times they use seclusion of restraint. Please search that database and tell us if your district has reported zero instances in a year that you know that they secluded or restrained somebody you know. Please let us know. You know, experts have told us that they believe that there is an undercounting of instances of restraint and seclusion. Thank
0: you, Lily, for taking the time.
1: (laughs) Thank you for having us. We always enjoy it.
0: Excellent. I always enjoy
1: it. I don't know who he is. Thank you for having me and <laughs> listening to Dave.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right, having you and Dave in spirit.
1: Yeah, Dave's here in spirit.
0: If you or someone you know has a story that could help Lily and Dave's investigation, send them an email at freepseclusionandrestraint at gmail dot com. That's f r e e p seclusion and at gmail dot com. Thanks in advance. For more on Kai and his family. And to learn about a district that has used seclusion and restraint more than 4,000 times in five years, go to Freep.com and read more of Lily and Dave's reporting. This episode was produced by me and Darcy Moran. Ajene Delgado and Marianne Struman are our executive producers, and Peter Bartia is our editor. The music, as always, for the show is called For Trumbull and was produced by DJ Lost Boy. Thank you all for listening. And if you like the show, please share with your friends and family. It makes a big difference. Subscribe, leave a comment. But most of all, come back next week. See you then.